Lord Jesus, we acknowledge you as king today, and we praise and bless your great name. Lord, I pray that you would uh, rule and reign in our lives and in this service and in our church, and uh, just that your will would be done in this time. Lord, I ask you through your spirit that you would reveal yourself to each and every one of us, that you give us faith, that you would draw us to you, that you would work uh, in our lives and in our church. And uh, just use us as your agents in the world. Father, I pray that you bless your people and uh, meet their needs today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can have a seat. If there's any Club 56 kids in here, you can head out to your classes. Um, welcome. It's good to see everybody this morning. And uh, hope, hope you're doing well. Uh, some of you are happy because UT won a game yesterday, right? Um, been an exciting morning at True Life. We baptized five people in the first service today, and yeah, that's uh, always something to celebrate. We're actually uh, two more baptisms, and we'll hit the milestone of the 500th baptism in, in our history, so that's, uh, that's pretty exciting, but uh, we're glad that you're here. If you're uh, a, a guest, you're new, uh, we want to welcome you. My name's Jimmy. I'm here at the, I'm the teaching pastor here at True Life, and uh, we've been doing a, a series called This Is Us, talking about who we are as a church for a long time now, uh, since I think it was July, and we're just about finished, planning on finishing that up uh, next week, but um, you, you can pray for me this morning. My sinuses are a little bit weird, and my voice held out in the first service, so you can pray for that in this service, or you can pray for it to give out, if that would be your preference. I guess that's up to you, however you feel led by the Lord this morning. Uh, but, uh, you know, I prefer to have about 40 minutes worth of voice. You guys might opt for 20, but uh, uh, so we'll see how it goes. But uh, doing something a little bit different today, it, I, uh, I almost always preach, I mean, 98% of the time, uh, expository sermons where you're walking through a text of Scripture. About once a year, I do a topical message, uh, and, and that's what's happening today. Uh, we're going to talk about the kingdom of God, and I want to just kind of lay a foundation and then talk about the application of it. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but over the years, as I've been in church or gone to conferences or had people mentor me or just out of personal relationships or out of my own Bible study, I mean, I've learned a lot of truths, but there's certain of those truths that in a very practical way have really changed me or changed my life in some way. You know what I'm talking about? You just get a new perspective on something, or, or God shows you something different and something uh, you, maybe you're seeing in the wrong way. Like I, I used to think that you forgave someone if they apologized. And then, actually, I learned from my wife that what the Bible actually teaches is that forgiveness is an unconditional act of grace. And that became a very life-transforming thing because there was a couple of people that we really needed to forgive. Um, and, and there's been lots of things like that over the years. But one of those things is learning about the kingdom of God. And I learned about it really from a guy by the name of Bob Roberts. Uh, I would highly recommend his book, Transformation. But you might say, kingdom of God, you know, when I think of life-changing things, that's not the first concept that comes to my mind. And, and I get that. It may seem a little obtuse, but I, I really want to try to make it practical because this has made 
just such a difference for me personally, for how I minister, for how we do things uh, as a church. And so uh, just hang with me for a little while. Let me lay a foundation. Then I think by the end, this will get really, really practical. And hopefully you'll see how this can really make a difference in your life. But to start with, because, you know, we're all wired to think, okay, if somebody's going to tell me about something, like, what am I going to get out of it? You know, how, how can this really affect me? So I, I want to give you four reasons why it's really important to understand what the kingdom of God is and how it works in our lives. And then after that, we'll read some scripture and, and, and try to unpack it. But, but here, here's four reasons. Number one, you know, a, a lot of people in East Tennessee think uh, that being a Christian is that you pray to prayer and you're going to heaven when you die, and that's pretty much it. You know what I'm talking about? Understanding the kingdom of God is part of the antidote to that. Because if we understand the kingdom of God, we understand that when we become a Christian, essentially what we're, bowing, what we're doing is we're bowing to Jesus as our king. Uh, we're saying, Jesus, you're Lord, you're God, you're king. I'm now trusting you as the Lord, the God, the king of my life. And so it's not just I pray to prayer and I'm going to go on my merry way, do whatever I want to do and show up in heaven someday. Really understanding the kingdom of God, really becoming a Christian, makes us a new person. And so it leads to, and this is actually the title of the message, a new way of living. That's what I want, to come, want us to come out of today with, really, is a new way of thinking that leads to a new way of living. <clears throat> So, uh, you know, that's one reason. A second reason is it's really hard to understand the Bible if you don't understand the kingdom of God. Within Scripture, there's certain just kind of overarching themes that tie everything together. If you want a big word to impress your friends with this week, it's called the meta-narrative of Scripture, the meta-narrative. And, and, uh, you know, the cross is at the center of the Bible, but you can't really understand the cross apart from the kingdom. And it's the idea that God is king, he's sovereign, Lord and ruler over all. He made us, we rebelled against him, and so now there's two kingdoms operating in the world. There's only one real kingdom, but there's the power of darkness and, and, and the kingdom of God, and, and eventually God's kingdom is, is going to triumph and be completely established. But in between, you see throughout the pages of Scripture this battle going on, sometimes overtly, so, sometimes behind the scenes. Uh, between the forces of darkness and the kingdom of God. And that leads into the, into the third thing because, you know, Scripture, because it's true, always intersects with life. And, and we really can't understand life, I don't think, without understanding the kingdom of God. Here's what I mean. How often do we ask questions like, why, God? Or how long, Lord? And what I mean is, why, God, is there so much evil in the world? Why is there so much suffering? How long, God, are you going to put up with this? You know, why do we see in the news, it seems like almost every week now, that there's been some kind of mass shooting somewhere? Why are there wars? Why are there genocides? Why are people suffering? Why are people starving to death? God, if you're in control, can't you do something about this? God, do you really love us? Well, you know, why don't you do something about this? But if we really understand what the Bible uh, teaches about kingdom, I mean, we, we can't fully grasp all this, but it begins to make more sense. And, and here's what I mean. I want to read a quote to you from a theologian by the name of Christopher Morgan. And he says this. 
He says Jesus proclaims and brings God's kingdom in a context of strenuous opposition, chiefly from Satan. Listen, the kingdom comes, but not instantly or peacefully. And it comes through destroying every rule and power, through putting enemies under his feet, through putting all things in subjection to him, through conflict and conquest over the kingdom of Satan. Now listen to this. Here's kind of, this is the key. It says, indeed, creation is presently subject to conflicting realities. That's what's going on in the world right now. One that's not eternal and one that is. Evil in its tyranny is real and destructive, but temporary. God's rule is universal, but still in the process of bringing evil to an end. Now, you may push back and say, okay, well, if God's really in control, why doesn't he just bring it to an end? Can I tell you, the Bible gives an answer. You may not like the answer, you may not agree with the answer, but the Bible gives an answer from God's perspective. If you go to 2 Peter chapter 3, the Bible tells us that God is long-suffering and patient because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know why God's putting up with evil in the world? So more people can be saved. He's enduring it for a time so more people can come into his eternal kingdom and bring glory to his name. Now, think about it. You know, we're like, ah, I don't like that. God, you should do it differently. I'm sick of this. You know, we watch the news and sometimes we think we're sick of stuff, right? We should. But, but can I tell you, God's sick of it too. God is enduring every act of evil because every act of evil is an affront to his holy nature and a hurt to his compassionate heart. But he's enduring it for a time so that more people can be saved. And so when we begin to understand the kingdom and we see these dual realities of forces of darkness against the kingdom of God, good and evil, light and dark, it helps us at least make more sense of the world. But then the fourth reason, and, and, and I hope by the time that we get to the end of this, that you really get this as the mission of your life, is that God's mission, the reason that we're here, I mean, our purpose is to glorify him, but our mission, the way we bring him glory, is by being kingdom builders who are his agents, his hands and his feet, who are his agents of reconciliation and restoration in the world around us. That's the mission of our lives. That's, that's why God has us here. It's not about us. It's about him, and, and it's about building his everlasting kingdom. Now, I want us to read uh, four verses of Scripture, and then I'll, I'll try to unpack this for us, try to define it, and show how it's manifested, and then we'll look at how it's applied. So if you'll read along on the screen or, or, or look them up, Psalm 103.19 says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. And so, basically, this verse tells us the three things that it takes to have a kingdom. You've got a ruler, a realm, and subjects. A ruler, a realm, and subjects. God's the king. He's the ruler. 
This world is his realm, is his sphere of authority, and we are his subjects. Okay? Look at what David then says in 1 Chronicles 29, 10, and 11. He says, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. And, and, and if you want to get a right view of God, this verse is a great starting place. It says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that is in heaven and earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O God, and you are exalted as head over all. That's a good verse to think about when we come to worship. God's great. He's powerful. He's glorious. He's victorious. He's majestic. He, he owns all. It all belongs to him, and he's exalted. And so when we come to worship, we're coming to exalt him because that's who he is. So those are kind of some descriptions of God and his kingdom. But then look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, two different verses. And really, if we, if we really want to understand uh, the kingdom of God, the key is to understanding the Sermon on the Mount because that's really what Jesus was focusing on in the sermon. He, I mean, he's showing us two things, I think, in, in general, that we don't live up to it so we need grace, and then he's showing us once we're saved how we live as citizens of the kingdom of God. So one of the things I would encourage you to do this week is read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Look at what Jesus has to say about the kingdom. But look what he says here. In the Lord's Prayer, as he's teaching us to pray, you know, verse 9 said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. But then he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, a lot of us could quote that. I mean, we could take it off the screen and, and, you know, and say it together, and a pretty good percentage of us, whatever our religious background, could probably quote the Lord's Prayer. But do we really understand what we're praying? If not, I hope by the end of this message that you'll have a clearer idea of what it really means to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then Matthew 6.33 Jesus, in the context, starting in verse 25, is telling us not to worry and how that, that, that God is taking care of his children. He's meeting our needs. And he says then, but seek first the kingdom of God. Make that the number one priority of our lives. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Meaning he's going to, when we put him first, he's going to meet the basic needs of our lives. Okay, so with those things in mind, let me try to, you know, give us an understanding, a framework to understand the kingdom, and then look at how it applies to our lives. So, uh, you know, if you give me a few minutes to give you a framework, just kind of hang in there, it'll get very practical, okay? So number one, let's talk about the kingdom manifested. And what I want us to see is there's four aspects to the kingdom of God. First of all, you've got to have a king, right? There's a ruler, there's a realm, and there's subjects. So, the Bible is claiming that God is the king or ruler over all. And even beyond that, to be more specific, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. That Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is the eternal God who allowed himself to be humiliated. He left heaven, came to earth as a servant. 
went even lower in dying a criminal's death on the cross for our sins. But then God raised him from the dead. He ascended back to heaven. Now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning. He's exalted. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. And I believe that's true because I believed he proved it by rising from the dead. And so when we talk about, you know, who's the king, who's the ruler, who's the boss, who's in control, I believe it's, it's Jesus. Listen to what the Bible uh, prophesied of Jesus, says of Jesus in Daniel 7, 13 and 14. It says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. And, and remember in the New Testament, this was actually the favorite title that Jesus used of himself. But uh, people confuse this. I used to. I used to think Son of Man. Well, that's speaking of Jesus' humanity. Listen to these verses. It's actually a title of his deity. It's showing us that he's God. Boy, behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Remember, Jesus actually quoted this in Matthew chapter 26 when the high priest was questioning him and asking him if he was really the Messiah. Uh, he, he says, He came to the Ancient of Days, which is God the Father, and they brought him near before him. And then listen to what it says about Jesus here. It says, Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom kingdom, the one, the only one is the implication which shall not be destroyed. In other words, all the kingdoms of man, all the cities that we build, all the famous, all the rulers are eventually going to pass into the scrap heap of history, are going to pass into oblivion. And when it's all said and done, Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. His kingdom is the only thing that's going to last forever as he rules and reigns forever. Jesus is king. That's the idea. Now, the king then has a kingdom with subjects in it. And I want you to see that there's, there's three aspects to the kingdom of God. There's past, there's present, and there's future. And we're going to talk about the past and then the present and come back to the future because to understand, or I'm sorry, we're going to talk about the past and the future and then come back to the present because to understand the kingdom of God practically, presently in our lives, you have to understand it in the context of the past and the future. So when we talk about the past aspect of God's kingdom, when Jesus came to the earth the first time, God's kingdom was present on the earth because the king was here. Now, he didn't come as a, as a king outwardly. Outwardly, he came as a servant. His glory was veiled most of the time. But you see a lot of glimpses of the kingdom of God. Jesus comes preaching the kingdom. He comes healing. He comes doing miracles. You see his authority over nature. You see his authority over disease. You see his authority over sin. Why? Because he's the king. And so as he does these miracles, especially as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, that's what it's manifesting, that Jesus is king. The ultimate proof is he rose from the dead. And we see this in Scripture, Matthew 4, 17, where it says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent. In other words, turn from your sins, turn to me, because for, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What's he saying? I'm the king. I'm here. So repent and turn to me. The kingdom of God was literally present on the earth the first time Jesus came. Okay? That's the past aspect. Now let's kind of fast forward to the future. Jesus someday, we sang about it, is going to literally return to the earth 
and the kingdom is going to be literally here because the king is going to be here. He's going to set up his kingdom and rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years and that will then uh, lead into his eternal reign. Revelation eleven fifteen, just one of many examples, says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And you know what? That's good news. That the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of Jesus because that means that all the mess that comes from the kingdoms of this world are going to be eradicated when Jesus comes to rule and reign on the earth. I mean, think about what the Bible says about the millennial kingdom. The lion's going to lay down with the lamb. There's going to be peace and prosperity and love and unity. They're going to beat their swords into plowshares. Uh, you know, people, there's not going to be fighting. There's going to be righteousness and, and, and holiness, and there's going to be worship. And, you know, the way that we long for the world to be right now, the way everybody practically longs for the world to be right now in our hearts, it's going to be that way when Jesus comes back. You see, listen, everybody... You know, unless they're, you know, psycho, deranged, or, you know, want to be a dictator, want to rule over other people, every normal, decent person wants what the Bible talks about in the millennial kingdom of Christ. It's just a lot of people want it without Jesus, and you'll never have it. So there's past, there's future. But what does that mean that right now, in the here and now, in the present, that God's kingdom looks like? Well, what the Bible teaches us is that God's kingdom is within us. That that there's a here and now and a not yet when it comes to the kingdom of God. It's fully coming, but it's somewhat here now within us. In our hearts. You see, we're a part of the kingdom because the king is in us through his spirit. You remember, I mean, most of us, if we have any knowledge of scripture at all, are familiar with John 3 and Jesus talking to Nicodemus. And, you know, we know Jesus said, you must be born again, right? But you remember what the rest of that says? Jesus said, you must be born again even to see the kingdom of God. And we focus on the born again part, but I think sometimes we forget about the kingdom of God part. Or uh, let me give you a couple other verses, and really this is kind of everything else we talk about today will really flow out of this. Colossians 1, if you want to turn there, uh, verses 13 and 14. And and this is the Apostle Paul, and um, it's kind of at the end of a prayer. And he says in verse 13 that he, in context, talking about Jesus, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us, which means translated or transformed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. So actually, it's not talking about Jesus. I said that wrong. It's talking about the Father is is conveying us into the kingdom of his Son, uh, the one he loves, Jesus Christ. And so remember what we were talking about before, this overarching story. You got the power of darkness battling the kingdom of God. And what he's saying is, apart from Christ, we're all under the power of darkness. Now, that may be offensive to some people. They may say, darkness, you know, I'm full of light, and, I, you know, I'm a good person, I'm a moral person, all these kind of things. 
And that may very well may be true. You know, compared to other people, you may be a great person. But I need to warn you, based on the word of God, the Bible tells us spiritually, apart from Christ, that we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. And Satan would be very happy to keep you and, and take you to hell while you're being a good, moral, upstanding person if that keeps you from surrendering your life to Christ and living your life for the glory of God, thinking you're okay based on self-righteousness. And so it doesn't matter what we're like outwardly. We're all sinners and we're all under the power of darkness apart from Jesus. So we all need to, have to be translated, to be conveyed from this power of darkness into uh, the kingdom of God. And so the idea is, is that you know, we're going to live our lives and our lives are going to be darkness or our lives are going to be about Jesus and his kingdom. And then the problem becomes, the disconnect happens when we say we're following Jesus, that we're in his kingdom. But then when our lives look more like the power of darkness than they do the kingdom of the son of his love. Does that make sense? And he goes on to say, he says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of of sins. And so I understand, you know, I said the kingdom and the cross go together. Dallas Willis talks about there's the gospel of the atonement. That's Colossians 1.14, the good news that through Jesus' cross we're forgiven of his sins. But there's also the gospel of the kingdom, which is that through the cross of Christ, we're brought into the kingdom of God. Our lives are transformed. And now out of the cross, there's a new way to live. Not the same old junky way that we've been living, but now Christ living through us because we're in him, he's in us, and he's our king, and we're his subjects. And so, you know, right now, the kingdom of God is in the world, in, in the hearts of those who follow uh, Jesus. And the idea then is for it, and we'll, uh, we'll get to this, for it to get worked out of our lives into other people's lives and into the structures and systems of society where God's working through us. To make a difference. So, what we're going to talk about is kingdom in, kingdom out. So, Jesus is king. Kingdom was literally here when he came the first time. It's going to be literally here um, uh, when he comes back the second time. Now, it's in our hearts. Okay? If you're tracking with me, we say amen. A little iffy, but uh, uh, we'll keep plowing ahead. All right, so let's talk about the definition of the kingdom, and then we'll get to the practical application. Okay, if you're going to understand the kingdom of God, there's two words you need to know. The first one is reign. Not like a rainy day, but reign, R-E-I-G-N, like a king reigns, a king rules. Uh, that's what we're talking about when we talk about the kingdom of God. Um, the Revel uh, Bible Dictionary defines it as a ruler's sphere of authority. Uh, Chuck Colson says, the kingdom of God is a rule, not a realm. It's the declaration of God's absolute sovereignty of his total order of life in this world and the next. It, it, it's, uh, think about it in two different ways. The, the God is king universally, so universally he's ruling over the whole world. Now just remember what we talked about earlier, though. He's giving darkness and evil some space so that more people can be saved, but he's ultimately going to bring it to a complete end. So God's reign is universal, but it's also particular 
that when we bow our knee to Jesus, when we confess that Jesus is Lord, that means he's ruling and reigning over us, particularly as an individual. Now, I understand that this is exactly why some people, maybe some of you, don't want to become a Christian. Because you're like, I don't want Jesus or anybody else ruling over me. I want to run my own life. But the, the thing that we have to understand, maybe, maybe two things that, that I would encourage you to think about, is number one, if Jesus rose from the dead and he really is king, he does, even though it doesn't seem like it sometimes, universally reign over all. And so what that means is, is if you reject him, he's still reigning over you. And someday, according to scripture, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's just going to be too late for you to be saved then. But the other thing that I would encourage you to, to think about is if this is true, I mean, if, if Jesus really is the Son of God who came to bring the kingdom and work these miracles, and he died for our sins, and he proved it by rising from the dead, that his way of living is the best way of living that you could ever have. It's light instead of darkness. So the, the first word is rain. The second word is restoration. Now, I've taught on this before, and I've talked about the rain part, but I never really taught about the restoration part. But, but what we see in Scripture is as Jesus came and brought the kingdom of God, and he died for our sins, what he is doing is he's restoring people's lives. He's restoring people to the relationship with God that they were created for. He's forgiving us. He's changing us from the inside. And then he's working through those that he's redeeming and restoring to make a difference in redeeming and restoring people and things around them. So Mark, uh, Mark Driscoll and uh, Jerry Brashears put it this way in a book they wrote. Say, at its simplest... The kingdom of God is the result of God's mission to rescue and renew his sin-marred creation. The kingdom of God is about Jesus, our king, establishing his rule and reign over all creation, defeating the human and angelic evil powers, bringing order to all, enacting justice, and being worshipped as Lord. The kingdom message is that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Spiritual death, which is the, the ruptured relationship with God that we have, can only be healed through the atoning death of Jesus. The internal destruction sin has brought to our hearts can be renewed through the power of his resurrected life. The real enemy conquered by his victory is not political, but sin and the God of this world, Satan himself, along with the spiritual forces of darkness. Jesus formed a new movement, the church, a redeemed people, us from every nationality and ethnicity, which will come into the unity of the Spirit to participate in God's rescue mission to the whole world. That's our mission. That's what we're called to. All right? So that's the foundation. Jesus is king. Kingdom, past, he was here, present, he's coming again, he's going to be here or future, he's coming again, he's going to be here right now in the present. He's in us, he's ruling and reigning, he's restoring. And so then here's the question. 
What does this mean to our lives? Is, is this just some kind of obtuse theology? Or does this mean something to me in my life right here, right now? And this is what it means. This is why I said it made such an impact in me. And I hope that it will for you too. So let's talk about the kingdom applied, okay? And, and, I, and I want you to think this phrase. Uh, I mean, if you just kind of want to boil uh, this down to like a mental grid, just think, Jesus is king, past, present, future, reign, restore, and then kingdom in, kingdom out. Okay, kingdom in, kingdom out. Uh, God's kingdom is working through us in our lives when we surrender to Jesus to transform us internally, and then he's going to work through us to make a difference externally. You understand, the kingdom of God is spiritual. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about like a physical realm that we think of in this world. It's a spiritual rule. Uh, Look at Romans 14, 17. It says, the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's internal, but then it works its way out externally. And so what does this look like? Well, um, in, in a minute, I'm going to talk about just some practical ways this happens. But let me give you an illustration that will hopefully make it more tangible for us, okay? So, um, <clears throat> you know, one of my favorite bands is Third Day. Anybody like Third Day? They're a Christian rock band. Um, unfortunately, they retired this year. Um, seems like a lot of my favorite bands are retiring, uh, which says I'm getting old, I guess. Um, uh, it says I like older music that was actually made with real musical instruments and not on computers. Somebody should have said amen to that. <laughs> Thank you, Charlie. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, so, you know, I probably... I mean, probably my two favorite bands have been Third Day and U2, and I probably own every Third Day uh, CD, seen them in concert a bunch of times. And so uh, they retired this year. They did a farewell tour. And for my birthday, what uh, Robin got me was uh, Jay, our son, who lives in Nashville, and me tickets to see them at the Ryman Auditorium. It was a couple of days after Molly and Nate got married in June. You know, Jay was going home, and I drove down there. <laughs> and so we went to see Third Day. And so... Uh, at one point during the show, Mike Powell, their singer, was setting up a song. And it's a song called Children of God. We, we've done it here at True Life before. And, and so he told a story. So, uh, you know, Third Day's had a very successful career. They won like 24 Dove Awards, four Grammy Awards, had a couple of platinum records, a bunch of gold records. And, uh, but Mac was talking about, uh, he had a friend over at his house one day. And um, they were in one of the rooms downstairs doing whatever. And apparently in this room, he, he has his Grammys. You, you've seen the Grammys. They got the little, like, uh, um, what would you call it? Just old record player, you know, kind of thing on there. And, uh, you know, it'd be really cool to win a Grammy. You know, like that's like the pinnacle in, in, if you're in that industry. And so, you know, he, he's got these on his shelf. And, and his friend wanted to see one of them. And so, you know, uh, Mac walks over, uh, he, he says, you know, gets one off the shelf, and he says the first thing he did is, like, knock the dust off of it. And uh, then he said once he knocked the dust off of it, he saw that the thing was literally rusting. And, um, you know, I, I think about the, what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, don't let treasures on earth where moth and rust uh, 
destroy, and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And, um, you know, and he was talking about, you know, how honored they were that they had, had won this. And, um, you know, it was really cool, but it's literally rusting away. And, and then he said, you know, I want you guys to know that third day has not been about these Grammy Awards or anything else like that. But he, here's third day's legacy. That, like, for the last, a lot of years, every time they went on tour, uh, either a, a part of the ticket you know, went to some kind of charity, or they signed up people to do child sponsorships. And on their tours, they've had over 50,000 people who signed up and committed to sponsor a child through World Vision or Compassion or something like that, where these people are giving monthly, where these kids are you know, being you know, provided an education, getting food, their families are being ministered to, they're hearing the gospel. Uh, you know, lots of these people have come to Christ. And he said, our legacy... It's not Grammys that are rusting away. Our legacy, what it's about, is all these people, that you've, these children, these families that you've helped and been a part of their lives being restored and transformed over the years. And so here's the point. When we live our lives for anything of this world, it's going to eventually rust away and fade away and go away. But what we invest in the kingdom of God is going to last forever. Here's the other point. I mean, nothing wrong with the Grammy. He wasn't saying that. You know, our son's trying to make it in the music business. I think it'd be spectacular if he won a Grammy someday. That'd be really cool. But, you know, if our life is about like external things like Grammy Awards and whatnot, the things of this world. You're saying that's power of darkness thinking. If our life is about the kingdom of God and glorifying God and serving Jesus and serving people and, and, and doing things that are going to last forever, that's kingdom of God. Kingdom in, kingdom out. What are we living for? And so, you know, think about it in just some very practical ways. How, how do we define our purpose? How do we define success? Well, if it's about us and it's about external things and it's about the things of this world, that's power of darkness. But if it's about the kingdom of God, if it's about Jesus, if it's about the glory of God, if it's about that which lasts forever, that's kingdom of God. You understand? It's a new way of living it's a new way of thinking. It's the eternal versus the temporary. Think about life. You know, there's so many debates in our society today. And see, one of the things I want us to understand as we go through this is a lot of the debates in our society, a lot of what people, on the talking heads on the news shows talk about, things politicians talk about, aren't really political issues. They're really kingdom of darkness versus kingdom of light issues. Think about life. You know, when people say that uh, life isn't God-given, that we can define life, that it's our choice to take a life. You know, China has recently come out and said that there have been over 300 million abortions in China. That's kingdom of darkness. Kingdom of life is 
kingdom of God is life begins at conception. Every life is valuable. We don't throw babies away. We don't dispose of old people because they're not productive anymore. You know, kingdom of darkness is abortion. Kingdom of God is adoption and foster parenting and helping kids that are going through tough times. You understand what I'm saying? It's two different ways to think and to live. I mean, think about marriage. Kingdom of darkness is it's a convenience. And if this person isn't meeting uh, your needs and, and it's just not working anymore, you can walk away from it. Kingdom of God is it's an unbreakable covenant based on the unbreakable, unbreakable covenant of grace that God has made with us in Jesus Christ. I mean, think about parenting. Parenting in the kingdom of God is about raising fully devoted followers of Christ who grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, who live for the glory of God, who understand their purpose and mission in life. Uh, kingdom of darkness parenting is about giving kids whatever they want or uh, you know, uh, raising them apart from God to be whoever they want to be and do whatever, whatever they want to do and you know, self-fulfillment, self-actualization, and then people posting about all their kids' accomplishments on the internet because it makes them feel better about themselves. I mean, think about truth and ethics. You know, in, in the kingdom of God, we define truth as absolute because God is truth. He's revealed truth to us in his word. So ethics are, uh, you know, unchanging. They're absolute. Kingdom of darkness, ethics are situational. It's your truth and my truth. It's not the truth. And so it just kind of leads to whatever you want to say and whatever you want to do. I mean, think about government and politics. You know, I, I think sometimes um, that I, I, a mistake I make when I'm preaching, um, I may have done this last week, is, is, is I may give the impression that I'm anti-politics. I'm not. It's very important. It's a domain, a sphere of influence. I just think it doesn't have a place in the church. But for us as individuals, as for us as citizens of the kingdom of God, Romans 13, we're called to be good citizens in this world. We're called to be, uh, you know, a part of the political process. That may be some people, uh, you know, as Christians running for office, bringing the kingdom of God to bear on the domains and spheres of this world. It certainly includes voting. If you're not registered to vote, you ought to see Charlie. Uh, he's the director of elections in Jefferson County. And, and, I mean, that's part of our responsibility. I mean, government is something that's instituted by God. But do we think biblically? You know, one of the debates is about nationality. Listen, we believe in nationality because if you read Scripture, a one-world government is the Antichrist. But at the same time, we also understand as citizens of the kingdom of God, while we're called to be good citizens, our ultimate loyalty is not to the United States of America. Our ultimate loyalty is to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and to his kingdom. Like if a human ruler tells us to bow down or compromise the word of God, I don't care if it's the president of the United States or whoever it may be, we follow Jesus, not that. I mean, think about race. Listen, racism, prejudice, these kind of things, that's the power of darkness. You know what the kingdom of God is? The kingdom of God, when it's fully realized, is every people, tribe, tongue, and nation. It's a colorblind God who made everybody the way that they are. And the idea is, if the kingdom's in us now, we're colorblind. And as a church, uh, we love everybody. And we don't have these kind of distinctions. And we call racism and prejudice and these kind of things sin because we're living the kingdom of God. We're not living under the power of darkness. 
It's a new way of living. It's a new way of thinking. I mean, think about sex. In the kingdoms of this world, sex is a convenience, a physical transaction. But in the kingdom of God, it's so much more than that. We see, kingdom, we see sex in the kingdom as the, the physical expression, the physical acting out of an unbreakable marriage covenant where sex isn't merely physical pleasure. It's actually every time uh, when two people have sex, not just merely a physical uh, or transaction, it's a spiritual transaction. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's a spiritual connection. It's not just body to body. It's soul to soul. That's how God wants us to think as citizens of his kingdom. I mean, think about money. We think about my money. I do what I want. If we're in the kingdom, we see money as a stewardship from God that he's blessed us with that we're to use for his glory and to use generously to make a difference in people's lives in the world. I mean, think about work. If we're a citizen of the kingdom of God, work is just not work. It's something we do unto the Lord. We do our best. We do it for his glory. And we do it whatever we're doing to make a difference in people's lives, to be a blessing to those around us. We know that God created us to work. So if we're going to live like citizens of the kingdom, we don't need to get up and whine and gripe about our uh, job every day of the week. We need to thank God that we have a job and ask God to use us to make a difference where we are and, and, and ask the Lord to help us, even if it's difficult and to work through us. And this applies to school too, where people see Christ in us and we're salt and light and we're making a difference wherever we are. That's the kingdom of God. And, and can I just give a piece of free advice? Um, this connects. This is really practical. For some of you who post complaints about your job and about your boss on the internet, you might want to stop and think that when you're looking for a new job, somebody that's smart is going to check out your internet history. So that's just some free wisdom for you, okay? You don't have to put anything in the offering box for that one. Um, you know, how we treat people, forgiveness, how we relate to others is a power of darkness is a kingdom of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? If, if God's kingdom is in us, if Jesus is in us, it makes us different. There's a new way of living. It's kingdom in, but then it's kingdom out because it's, it's internally Christ working to change us, but then it's going to spill out externally to those around us. So let me, let me close with this, but think about this. The great eminent theologian Toby Mack has said that... Uh, Societal change happens when individuals change. That's true. Now, let me just play off of that for a second and give you something to think about. Have you noticed over the last um, you know, couple of election cycles how uh, there's been a prolifer proliferation of socialist candidates in different races around the country? Some of them actually getting elected. That's a little scary to me. But can I tell you that that's not actually a political issue? So we've got to learn to think biblically. got to learn to think with a Christian worldview. Watch the news with the Bible in hand. That's a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of God issue. Here's what I mean. Kingdom of darkness says that we're all naturally good. And the problem is the, the society around us is corrupting everything. So we need people to come in and fix the society. And you know what that's, that philosophy, philosophy has inevitably led to? Socialism, communism, 
What's the Bible teach us? The Bible teaches us that we're all sinful. We're, we're all sinners by nature, and that's what produces our choices. So we need an internal transformation, and we need to be responsible for our own actions. And if we're responsible and do what's right as individuals, then that's what's going to build the society that we become. And, and, and that's the kind of mindset that America was built on as a nation that's a biblical mindset. Whereas if, if we adopt as a nation this kingdom of darkness mindset, where are we going to head? But here's the thing that we have to think about as the church. If we say that we have the truth and this is what's right, how can we just sit back and not make a difference? And the difference is not ultimately political. The difference is not ultimately in, in government. What this is is a battle for the minds and hearts of men. It's kingdom of darkness versus kingdom of God. It's about the truth. And how the truth affects us from the inside out because it's kingdom in, kingdom out, whichever kingdom that we're actually in. Martin Luther King Jr. in his letter from a Birmingham jail, which one of my convictions is every thinking person ought to read that. You can read it in less than half an hour. He said this. He said, there was a time when the church, talking about the early church, was very powerful. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was the thermostat that transformed the mores, which means the customs of society. Listen to me, brothers and sisters, church. Are we going to be thermometers that's reflecting what's around us? Or are we going to be thermostats? that are change agents in the hand of our king. You say, what can I do? Listen, if you, if you make a difference in one person's life, you're making a difference in society. Listen, sometimes it looks like big and grandiose things, but God always works one heart at a time. Bob Roberts Jr. says, the kingdom of God is a radical message meant to be lived out in radical lives, which then historically and culturally have radical results. It's kingdom in, it's kingdom out. That's what he's looking for. Um, you know, Robin, my wife, <laughs> works at, uh, she's an administrator at uh, Lakeway Christian School. You know, some of you have seen, uh, you know, the big new building going up out at Exit 4. Lily, our daughter's a freshman there. She plays basketball there. And, um, you know, this is really something she prayed for, but, you know, as they're starting the new school, it's two schools in one building out at Cornerstone now, but as they're starting, uh, you know, the new school, they're putting a new emphasis on athletics, and, um, yeah, and this is kind of crazy to me that, that he would come to a startup school like this, but you know, the girls' basketball coach, his name's Randy Kaufman, he left Riverdale High School in Murfreesboro, where they won the last three state championships to come to a startup school. He was the national coach of the year a couple years ago, and we were having a conversation after practice the other day, and, and, he, he, and he's a Christian, and, you know, he made this statement, he said, basketball is my platform. And I don't know what he knows about the kingdom of God, we didn't talk about that, but that's a kingdom of God statement. Because it's the idea of wherever we are, whatever God has called us to do and equipped us to do, and the gifts and the talents he's given us, the job we have, the people we know, our sphere of influence, that's our platform. That's how God wants to work through us to be agents of restoration, his hands and feet in the world to make a difference in people's lives, to, to make a difference in society. It's our platform. And, and, and basketball, like anything else, is a terrible God, but it's a great platform.
What's your platform? Where's your sphere of influence? How does God want to use you? Who does he want you to minister to? What domain or sphere of society can you make a difference in? That's our mission. That's the point. Jesus is king. He's coming back, but right now he rules and reigns in our hearts. If we're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, he, he wants to rule and reign in your heart. He wants to internally transform us, and then that externally work its way out into whoever and whatever's around us. That's a big part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Kingdom of God instead of kingdom of darkness. What's God called you to? Very last thing, this illustration. <clears throat> Braveheart. That'd be a good way to close, right? Most of you have seen the movie, I think, you know, about William Wallace, you know, based on history, but, you know, somewhat fictionalized too. But, you know, in the movies, uh, you know, leading Scotland to overthrow... Um, English rule, <clears throat> and uh, you know, near the end of the movie, he's betrayed, and he, he's in prison awaiting a torturous execution, and uh, the princess of Wales, who wants to free him, comes to his cell, and she asks if there's any way he could recant his rebellion to save his life, and so, you know, if he submits to the English king, it'd spare him, you know, maybe from torture, from death, and, you know, William Wallace sees what's at stake Basically, he's either going to have to compromise uh, his calling, you know, what his life was about and bring freedom, uh, you know, and, and, and confess to this king, or he's going to have to endure this torture. And so he chooses to stand his ground. And, and, and the princess in the movie says, I come to beg you to confess all and swear allegiance to the king so that he may show you mercy. And Wallace says, if I swear to him, all that I am is dead already. And weeping, the princess says, you will die, it will be awful. And William Wallace says, every man dies, not every man really lives. And that's what I'm talking about. And what I'm saying is, if we really want to live the life that God has for us, it's a new way of living, and it's about his kingdom living under the rule and reign of Christ, letting him restore us, and then letting him work through us to see others restored. We you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? <clears throat> I just want to ask you, you know, how do you need to respond to this? What's God want to do in your life today? And maybe there's some of you here this morning or watching online. And what you need to do is you need to surrender your life, your life to Jesus as your Lord and your King. To say, I'm repenting. I'm not living for myself. I'm not doing it my way anymore. Turning my life over to you today. I trust you, Jesus. I, I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you're God, you're Lord. Right now, I place my faith in you. I receive you into my life. And I just encourage you, you know, if that's you, if God's dealing your heart, just to, to tell him that. Or, or if you need some help in praying, you can pray something like this. Pray, dear Jesus, you're God, you're King, you're Lord. Take my life. Forgive me my sins. I turn from my sin and myself 
I turn my life over to you. I trust your death for the forgiveness of my sins. I trust your resurrection for new life. I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. Come into my life. Change me. Make me new. And I just ask you, you know, if you just made a commitment to Christ, when we're finished, come and see me. Talk to Pastor Philip in the lobby. Take the connection card out of your bulletin. Fill it out. Let us turn in one of the boxes by the door. Let us know. Or if you've if, if you got questions, like to talk to somebody about becoming a Christian, see one of us or somebody you know here or, or check that on your connection card. If you need to be baptized, anything else, we'd encourage you to do that. <clears throat> For those of us who are Christians, are there things in our life that we need to repent of today? Are, 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 there, are there ways that we're thinking and living kingdom of darkness instead of kingdom of God? Are we using our lives as a platform, our opportunities as a platform to build the kingdom of God, letting Jesus live through us? I encourage you, if you're not, to ask him to help you to do that. Jesus, we're king. You're king. And so we praise your great name. You're king of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, rule and reign in, in us, over us as individuals and as a church. Lord, work out your will in our lives, in us and through us. We pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, I pray that we would just fulfill our role within your church, within your kingdom, in seeing that prayer be answered and seeing that come about. Jesus, we thank you that you're coming back, but I pray in the meantime that we wouldn't just sit back and complain, but that we would be salt and light, and that you would use us to make a difference in the world. Father, I pray that you would burn this into our hearts and minds as a conviction that, that through your spirit that guides and motivates our lives and the way we live and the way we serve day in and day out. In Jesus' name we pray.